Well, good, good morning, everyone. I'm so glad that you guys are out there on Facebook Live. We're excited to be with you. Happy Mother's Day to all of you out there. We will definitely be uh, sharing some more after um, our preaching time. We'll be able to share a statement with you. But thank you for joining us today. I know it's a very special day for each of you moms we are so delighted that you're here to join us. We know you're having a celebration soon this afternoon, and I know you've already been celebrating this morning. We celebrate you. We're excited that we can take this moment and to just stop and say thank you for being the awesome moms that you are, and we're grateful. For those of you who have been like me, who have lost your mom in recent years, know that God has established other people in our lives that have been there for us. And I know I can attest of that of some women in my life who have in my life that have been there for me as like a second, third, or fourth mom. And so we're just so grateful for each of you. And for those who might be joining us from out of state and other states, we, we welcome you here this morning as we're excited that you're continuing to join with us on a weekly basis. As Pastor Dennis has said, that we are in an interesting detour. We're at this time in our lives where we don't fully understand why we're here. We're hoping we can get off this exit, start getting back on a road that would be familiar and being able to say, okay, clear road ahead, but it's not there just yet. But we can assure you that today as we finish up our sermon series on detours, we haven't seen re-entry just yet, but we're hoping for it very soon. So continue to pray, but as reentry comes, we as a leadership staff, as a leadership team, we're looking at it and we're, we're, we're just contemplating what does that look like, and we don't know yet, but when we do, we'll make sure to tell you and inform you of what the next steps may be, but please continue to pray. Um, so I want to share a quick story of you with you because you guys know that I am a Yankee fan, a deep-hearted Yankee fan. I thought this story was kind of cool. It says, there's a story involving Yogi Berra, the well-known catcher for the New York Yankees from years past. And, of course, Hank Aaron, uh, who is, the, I think, the leading all-time home run king, um, who at the time was a chief power hitter for the Milwaukee Braves. The teams were playing in the World Series. And as usual, Yogi was keeping up the, his ceaseless chatter. He intended to pep up his teammates on the one hand and distract the Milwaukee batters on the other hand. As Aaron came to the plate, Yogi tried to distract him by saying, Henry, you're holding the bat wrong. You're supposed to hold it so you can read the trademark. Aaron did not say anything, but when the next pitch came, he hit it in the left field bleachers. After rounding the bases and tagging up at home plate, Aaron looked over at Yogi Berra and said, I didn't come up here to read. And so I love that statement because here was, which is just typical in sports and professional sports, there's all that ceaseless chatter to distract your opponent so they will not perform to the level that they should. And here was, of course, Hank Aaron, very concentrated, very focused, not looking to the left or to the right. He was just saying, you know what, I am going to make sure I watch this pitch and take it out of this ballpark. Now, it's hard for me to share that with you because I'm a Yankee fan, but I have to say that for Hank Aaron, he did the right thing. And I applaud Yogi for years ago of trying to get him off track, for that's the fun of the game. But how often are we distracted, even in the midst of a detour? I said last week that one of the things that frustrate me more than anything when I'm on the road, especially traveling many, many hours, 
is when I fall into what we call a traffic jam. And then when we find out after we get out of it for like 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes, that we find out it's an accident on the other side. So what does that mean? That means that there were onlookers slowing down the traffic. Why would they want to look to their left? What's the big deal? Why do they want to know about what's happening over there? And they slow down the traffic, and it messes up my schedule and my itinerary and my agenda, all because people are nosy and want to know what's going on to the left of them. Sorry, but for me, I don't care if there's a cop there or not. We don't have to slow down. We can just keep going. But unfortunately, it happens because the people who are driving on their road get distracted. They look to their left instead of keeping their eyes on the road. And that's kind of what we want to talk about this week, a detour, onlookers. We're trying to ask that question like saying, why do people do that? Why do people have to see that that's important for for them to do that? And I can assure you that I get frustrated enough thinking about it. We're on this journey as believers. God allows us to travel down these certain roads as we've talked about. Sometimes we take these detours. We want to take a shortcut. We want to fix it. We want to look around and hope that we can get off the road. But God's trying to say, keep your eyes on the road. In fact, you know, when we were first learning how to drive and mom or dad were there and I'm now a dad and I had to you know, show my children how to drive. I kept saying, keep your eyes on the road, keep your eyes on the road, keep your eyes on the road, because they would just want to talk or look to the left or to the right instead of just looking straight ahead. And I can assure you that that can be the most frustrating thing. But here we're on a detour, and we just want to look ahead. We want to get ahead. We want to look to the left, to the right, try to get out of this COVID crisis. And I'm thinking that that's not the thing we should be doing. We have to keep our eyes on the road. I know you get tired of me telling you that, but I have to get tired of myself telling myself, self, keep your eyes on the road because it's challenging. It's difficult because sometimes we're just tempted in our walk with God to look toward others. We're tempted to just look toward others. And that's why I asked that question. Are you tempted? Are you often tempted to look at other people when you're in the midst of a trial? Do you catch yourself when you're just caught up wondering? You know, social media is one of the greatest things out there when it comes to what we're going through right now. We're using Facebook Live. We're using other venues. We're using Zoom. We're using Google Hangouts to have video meetings so that we can keep together so that we won't go super crazy that we can't see a face. We can get out, we can go to the store, we have to social distance, we really can't have any gatherings together. But I got to tell you, social media has been great. But how much in the past, just in the recent past, where we scroll through our Facebook and we see how everyone else is doing well, we see all these wonderful stories, and then the first thing we do, we get tempted to think, what about me? What's going on in my life? Why doesn't God bless me with my life? Why doesn't God give me the things that that person has? How come I can't get a new car? How come I can't get a new home? How come I can't just build something on the back and put a nice deck? How come I can't do the very things that I see? And then you can become depressed because you're looking toward others. There's a temptation. You want to be an onlooker and look to your left. You want to think that everyone else has it great and you don't. You want to think that the grass is green on the other side. But yet it's a false narrative because I've talked to friends. And after I talk to them, I say, hey, congratulations. Yeah, you don't know, Bruno, what I've been through. It's really been tough. But it doesn't seem like on the Facebook it's been tough. No, it's been tough. We just had a moment, an event in our lives that was great. But it's been really challenging. 
Then it gives me the opportunity to stop saying, Bruno, stop looking at other people and realize everybody's struggling. And sometimes that's what we have to do. We have to be careful that the temptation doesn't allow us to pull away. Well, see, with Hannah, as we learned last week, Hannah and Peniah, both two wives of a man, Elkanah, and Elkanah was one who loved Hannah more than he loved Peniah. And so Peniah provoked her, taunted her, put her down because she was without child. She was barren. She couldn't have a child. But Elkanah tried to give her the double portion and care for her as much as he could to make her feel valuable. And yet Hannah could have easily looked at Peniah and said, wow, look what she has and I don't. She was tempted. She was grieving. She was angry. She was hurting. She was in pain. She was in anguish. But as she was, she put her eyes back on the road. She kept her eyes on the road. She was tempted to look over to the left and saying, look what she has and I don't have. She was there in Shiloh. She had to pull away. She had to cry out to Almighty God. She called out the name of Yahweh which is the personal name of God of Israel, crying out with everything she has, leaning on him through this. And we learned that that was the case, and so she did. But little did anyone know that this child that God was going to give her was a special prophet that would begin to open up the door for what we would know the office of kingship that would ultimately lead to the Messiah, which we'll talk about shortly. But here's another question to ask, too. Do you find yourself comparing your life with others? Do you and I, do we fall into that trap? How often? And, and I know today's Mother's Day, and it's a wonderful day, and we would always want to lift up our mothers and lift up women and say, thank you, God, for the, the beautiful mothers that you've given us. But we know, too, there are times when we understand, too, in our gender and our differences in our gender, that women times struggle with their looks. They struggle with body image. They're always comparing themselves to with a so-called model. They're always looking at other people and comparing themselves. Men may be different in that way, but we too have that issue. And I wish, I, you know, I, I could see that, you know, women would want to know, do I, if I could just be pretty enough, if I could be pretty like so-and-so, if I could be slimmer like so-and-so, or I could just do better at keeping my home or my children, I wish my children would obey the way that so-and-so's children obey. I wish that my children would just continue to be honest and obedient like so-and-so. We're always comparing ourselves, and we have that temptation to compare ourselves. Men do the same. I wish I was as strong as that one. I wish I was thinner than that one. I wish I was in better shape than that one. I wish I had the looks like that guy. I wish I could be able to do the things that he does. He's just multi-talented. He has all these gifts, and look at me. I don't even have one. I mean, all of these challenges. But here's what happens when we try to compare ourselves to one another. We spend so much time looking at everyone else to be better that we begin to create a sense of inadequacy in ourselves. Whenever we look to our left and our right, inadequacy starts to build up in our hearts. And then we go the opposite direction. We spend so much time falsely building ourselves up, looking at people who are worse off, and we create a pride in our hearts, which is not godly, because we want to feel better, so we then look to the right or to the left to feel better about ourselves. See, Hannah didn't do that. She looked to God. She looked to God for her sufficiency in the midst of her pain. She looked to God to deliver her through this very important and difficult trial. She wanted to have children. She wanted to be the mother that God, she believed, created her to be, to multiply. 
And she didn't have that opportunity at the beginning of the story. She didn't know what to do. She didn't grow and harbor bitterness or resentment. She looked to God. Here's the danger of comparing. Even Paul the Apostle said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. He says, not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves, when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they're without understanding, meaning they're fools, they're not wise. The false prophets, the false apostles, the false teachers of that time were misleading those who were under Paul and his disciples to follow him, to follow them instead of him. And what happened was when they started to compare themselves to one another, they were fools. Paul said, I will not fall into that trap. I will not compare myself to these men. I will not compare myself to these false teachers. I will keep my eyes focused on God. I'll keep my eyes on the road, centered on Jesus Christ, the cross. I will put my eyes focused on Jesus. That's what it takes Because when we do that, when we try to compare ourselves to someone else, we create our own set and standard outside of God, and we don't want to do that. In fact, comparison can be a sin, and we have to get away from that because that could destroy us ultimately. That's why it's important to understand that Hannah didn't do this. She was stuck in her purpose, which is God's purpose, and she needed to get unstuck from herself, and she did. She was in her pain. And as we talked about last week, and as we look at 1 Samuel chapter 2, we're going to see this as a whole to understand when we look to God, we have to decide what we're going to do with our pain. We can't look to the left. We can't be an onlooker. can't be distracted by anything. We have to keep our eyes on the road, and the eyes on the road is God. We've got to stay focused centrally on God on the faith that we have in Jesus Christ, on the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. It doesn't change when we're walking with God. It doesn't change when we're in sanctification. It doesn't change. We should not be looking to anything else but to Jesus Christ because he is the one who's going to take our pain and make us more like Jesus. She was in deep pain, but she looked to God, and we're going to see that she begins to praise God. When you're in the depths of your pain, you want to come out of it. you got to look to God because then you will have a praise that will come out of your heart when you look to God. To the left or to the right will never give you an ultimate opportunity for praise. Because when you put your focus on God, he then begins to open up himself. He reveals himself to us. He opens up our eyes. We get to see him for who he is. And we're seeing now in this prayer that Hannah has in 1 Samuel chapter 2 that she sees God truly for who he is because of her pain. So how many of you today are dealing with pain and you're looking to the left or to the right, but you're not keeping your eyes on the road? You're overwhelmed with fear and with worry and isolationism, and you're worried about being imprisoned in the midst of this COVID, and you realize you have still an opportunity to share Christ with someone. You still have social media. You still have an opportunity to text someone. You still have these opportunities. I have a friend of mine, a buddy of mine, and he'll know if he's watching this, and I haven't seen him in close to three years, but yet we connect all the time. I haven't seen him in person, yet I don't feel like I've missed a beat with him because we're always in contact with one another, texting and talking. And I want to encourage you, we can do that. With God, we have to do the same. We've got to look to God. So here's what, when we look to God in our pain, here's what happens. Like we look, we rejoice in the Lord, for he remembers us. Look with me to 1 Samuel chapter 2. 1 Samuel chapter 2, and it says this, 
Hannah prayed and said, my heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the, in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in salvation. Verse 2, he goes, there is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. Let me just share a couple of things as I just go back to verse 1. It's quite simple. When Hannah was speaking, she was boasting. She was boasting in the Lord. She was taunted by Paniah, but then she boasted in the Lord. She says that her heart was rejoicing in the Lord. Her heart was exuding and, and just ex exalting God in her heart. Her strength was the horn because the horn is the strength on an animal. And that horn is what she's saying is my strength is the Lord during my difficult time. God has become my strength. She's praising God for the strength that she has now received from her pain because she's crying out in praise to God. And he goes, you know, her mouth boasted in the Lord. In fact, the Hebrew, it says there, when her mouth derides her enemies, it says the mouth enlarged. It just enlarged over her enemies because Paniah was an enemy. She was provoking and taunting her. But she was able to rise above it because God rose her above her own enemies. And she was able to speak with power, with strength, because she had the heart that was exuding God. She had the mouth that spoke out. She had the horn that was the strength. And through it, she was able to do that. And then it goes on to say this, because I rejoice in your salvation. She then goes down further to saying, I rejoice because of you, because of what you've done. It's not because I'm about to have this child. It's not because of everything that is around me. It's because of you, Lord. It's because of you I can rejoice. The word salvation in Hebrew is where we get the word Joshua, Yeshua. It's the salvation. It's what we're delivered from our difficult time. It's not just to being delivered from the debt of sin, but it's being delivered in our everyday life with God through our struggles, through our difficulties, because we continue to sin and we need to be delivered from God. And so she sees that her eyes were on the road. Her eyes were on God. She didn't look to the left or the right. She wasn't an onlooker. She focused and concentrated on the Lord. And then she goes on. It's, just, it's the understanding of remembering. That's why I love the passage that goes further in when it says that it's a remembering idea. She knows that God is remembering her through this time. And in verse 2, it sees, it sees this. There's none like the Lord. There's no one like the Lord because she recognizes that God was there for her pain. For there was no one like him because he's unique. And he's a rock. It says he's a rock, meaning that word in the Hebrew means protection, support, and defense for, their, for his people during difficult times. So she recognizes this, but she could have never recognized this unless she kept her eyes on the road, giving her pain over to God, not looking to the left or to the right. But she took her pain and gave it to God. And that's where we see this praise that she recognizes that she rejoices in the Lord and remembers knowing that God remembers. Look, what, remember 1 Samuel 1.19. I just want to take you back to chapter 1 because this is what happened. After she worshiped the Lord, it says this, they rose early in the morning, they worshiped the Lord before the Lord, and then went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah's wife, and the Lord remembered her. As I said last week, I'll remind us again today. 
the word remembered is a soteriological word in the Old Testament saying that God remembers his covenant, his unconditional love for his people. So God will always look forward and care for us and defend us because he's defending his own name. So when we're in him, we can rejoice that he will never forget us, but remember us. Number two, in the midst of your pain, what do you do? You look to God for that because we realize strength comes from humility, not arrogance. Strength comes from humility, not arrogance. Let's just read this because this is almost poetic. She goes on to say this, talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. Who do you think she was referring to there? <laughs> she was referring to Paniah because she was provoking her. She realized she was arrogant, thinking because she had all these children that she could please her husband, that her husband loved her more than Hannah, and that she could stick it in her face. Let's just be honest. And yet, what did Hannah do? She recognized that. God gave her a mouth now. She enlarged her mouth to speak up. And here she spoke up. And she says, don't be arrogant. Why? Because arrogance will get you nowhere. It tells God that I really don't need you. It says that I can live life without you. It says that I can do all things in my own strength. Arrogance is something that we become overconfident in a subject matter. We think we really know something and we really don't. Because we're so insecure that when we become arrogant, we really don't know. It's a defense mechanism. Do you know that when someone is afraid to say they're wrong because they always have to be right, it's really just a defense mechanism. They're insecure. You might say, how do you know that, Bruno? It's because I had to live with that for a while in my own self. Yes, growing up, God has had to work on me and continues to because I found out that my arrogance was just talking it up at times. Instead of humbling myself, recognizing I can, can't do anything without Jesus. And God had to continue to do that work in me, and he still is. But I praise God that he reminds me that arrogance only takes you down the path away from God, not toward God. God builds us up. He's the one that lifts us up. He abases those who are proud, but lifts up those who are humble. He exalts them. Hannah was humble. She exalted the Lord because the Lord exalted her. In the midst of her pain, she recognized that she would find hope and peace, and she found a praise in the Lord because she recognized who God is. And see, that's where arrogance takes us. But humility lifts us up. And that's why we have to be reminded. That's why she goes in verse 4, says, The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. It's really, the Hebrew word, it means to gird up one's loins for battle. So God prepares you for battle. We know that in 1 Peter 1.13, getting ready for battle. God is the protector. He's the one who defends us. He gives us the resources and everything we need to get through the pain. So if you're thinking, I just want to get rid of this pain, look to the left, to the right, God's saying, go through the pain. I want to carry you through it. I want to deliver you. I want to be your salvation. And then through it, you will praise me because you will find out who I am. I will reveal myself to you and you will find out who I am. And when you do, you will praise me. And not that God needs to be praised because he can have the rocks to praise him. But when we praise him, then we are then becoming more loyal to him. We have an allegiance with God. We don't have allegiance to the left. We don't have allegiance to the right. We don't have allegiance to anyone. We have allegiance only to God. 
That's why we need God to be the one who delivers us through this. And that's where Hannah was. She recognized she was weak. She was recognizing that being barren, she could do nothing. She could do nothing in her strength. She needed supernatural strength. And I know if you're struggling right now, you're thinking, how in the world am I going to get out of this difficult time in my life? This seems impossible. God is the one who's saying, he's calling out to you. He's saying, call on me and I will carry you through this. Listen, we are his people. We are connected with God. We identify, we represent him. We're his ambassadors. And if we're going to do it, if we're going to carry the name of Christ and have a reputation to carry the name of Christ, then we need to lean on him through tough times. We cannot lean on someone to the left or someone to the right. We can't be onlookers hoping that we can find something. We need to look straight ahead, keep our eyes on the road, because God is the one who's going to deliver us and give us salvation. He will give you salvation in the midst of your pain. He will give you salvation in the midst of your financial struggle. He will give you salvation in the midst of this COVID crisis. He will give you that. If you're feeling lonely, if you're feeling depressed, if you're thinking even a possible suicide, know that he will be there for you if you just allow him to be there. Cry out to him. Bow down before him. Humble yourself because he will lift you up. That's why it goes on to say this. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, meaning they were leaning on themselves. Those who were satisfied, those who were trying to find strength on their own selves, they were just doing it for themselves. But, he said, but she said, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger, meaning those who were hungry were leaning, trying to find their satisfaction in the one who could provide the food, which is God. So we lean on God. Even in the good times, we lean on God. We thank him. We're grateful for the times when he puts food on our table, a roof over our head, and clothes on our back. That's the one thing we pray every time at a dinner table. Lord, those are the three things I always pray in front of my children. Thank you, Lord, for putting a roof over our head, for putting food on our table and clothes on our back. We recognize it's a gift from you. There's nothing I can do. Because God had to even bring me to that place to recognize. Because we get so comfortable thinking we don't need him. When he's the one who satisfies us. Let's humble ourselves before the Lord. And then he goes on to say this. And then she goes, the barren has born seven. But she who has many children is for long. Meaning she's focused too much on her children. Paniah was focusing on her children, provoking and taunting. She humbled herself, Hannah, and said, Lord, I need you. I need you, Lord, I need you, deliver me. She realized humility was the place, not arrogance. Number three, we learn to rest in the rescuer. We learn to rest in the rescuer. First Samuel 2, 6, and 8, she goes on to say this, the Lord kills and brings in life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts up the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. Meaning it is God's passion to take those who are lowly and lift them up. She was lowly. She was without child. She leaned on God. She knew God would be the only one who could deliver her. And now because of her pain going to God, she found praise. She recognized God is sovereign. God is in control. God can cause things to happen and allow circumstance to happen because he's God, because he's Elohim, Yahweh, Adonai. He is the most high God. He is Shama. He was always there, Goel, our redeemer. And we have to understand when we lean on him, we know that he is the creator. El Shaddai, Almighty God. And she recognized this. Who is like our God? Who is seated on high? 
Even, even the psalmist says in 113.5 through 9, which this passage is similar to what Hannah is saying. Just watch and read this with me. Who is like the Lord our God? Who is seated on high? Who looks far down on the heavens and on the earth? He raises the poor from the dust and lifts up the needy from the ash of heap to make them sit with princes and with the princes of his people. Very similar to what Hannah is saying. And in verse 9, he says, he gives the barren a woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. See how even the psalmist took from his pain and brought it forth a praise. She went from pain to praise. She kept her eyes focused on God on the, on the road. She didn't look to the left. She didn't look to the right. She wasn't an onlooker because she found praise because she found who God is. And that's the beauty of God. As we see this, God is desirous to do all of that. He wants, he's sovereign in control. He's the rescuer. And when we rest in that, we find that God is the one who rescues us. We don't have to try to find a way out. We don't have to try to figure out a way of COVID right now. We don't have to do it in our own strength. We look to God and say, God, how do we reenter? God, what do we do? Pastor Dennis, myself, the pastoral team, we're praying. We're asking God. We're saying, God, what do you want us to do with reentry right now? Because we don't know. We don't have the answers. Dennis is always reminding me, dude, one day at a time. And he's right, one day at a time. Remember that old, old, old sitcom, if you're as old as me? One day at a time, one day at a time. Sorry, I'm being funny and silly. Okay, but here's the thing. It's one day at a time. It's one day at a time. And we have to decide what to do. God is the one who carries us. Lastly here, when we look to God in our pain, we find refuge in the Redeemer. Refuge meaning strength. Hannah found her refuge in the Lord, her strength, her rock. She said it in the first few verses. Her horn, she exalted. She recognized those who were arrogant and believed in their own strength and wisdom and ability to navigate life would ultimately be judged. God would have the last word. But God desired to save the less fortunate, low in spirit, the poor, those who are falsely attacked the weak would find ultimate strength in the Lord. She did. In fact, I just want to share a verse with you. As we look at verses 9 and 10, I have another one too. He, she goes on to say this. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not might shall a man prevail. No might in man. And then he goes on to say this. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth, and he will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Well, I just want to share that last part of verse 10, because this is where it highlights it. She mentions kings, but there were no kings yet in the line of Israel. This was just after the book of Judges, at the time of Judges. But for some reason, we know that she was speaking forthright. She was talking about an officeship of like the, the office of kingship, and she was talking about what would it look like. Well, Moses mentioned it in Deuteronomy, and she also is mentioning that there's a strength in this king. Who is this king? Who is to be this anointed one? Well, she was speaking ahead. She was speaking ahead of a so-called Messiah. She was speaking of someone. In fact, the word anointed is Messiah. King is Melech. 
And we understand that those two words come together so well because Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he is the anointed one. He is the Messiah to come. And so we understand, too, that Samuel will be the prophet who will lead both Saul to be the king and then would also help David to become the king, which will then further on the line will become Jesus and the lineage of David. And we see this all set up that she's speaking prophetically because she is a woman of God. She even is like a theologian in a sense because she has spoken Yahweh seven times in chapter one and speaks highly. God gives her a word even now. But what we understand too in Isaiah is we recognize this. As you look at Isaiah 61.1, why did this so-called anointed one come as we know Jesus today in the 21st century of the church? Why did this anointed one come? Well, here's the purpose of why he came. I'm going to read that to you. Isaiah 61.1, it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Wow. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Hannah was brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. See, Jesus came ultimately to set us free from our sin, to take us out of slave market of sin. He came to rescue us because it was impossible to get out of it in ourselves. It's interesting that Hannah, too, could not get out, get out this whole situation out of herself. She needed supernatural intervention. She needed God to visit and intervene. She needed God to come forth and take her out of this situation, and he did. He rescued her. And as we look at, we understand at the end, it's when we look to the Lord, he will rescue you and I. We will be rescued. We will be rescued. Look what he did for Hannah. Look what Jesus came to do for us. But look at, look at what Hannah, this is what happened. We look on further in chapter 2, verse 21. Indeed, the Lord visited Hannah, intervened, visited her. As we know, that, that word is intervene. And she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters, six children altogether. And the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. So she gave God, she gave Samuel to God, lent him over to God. God blessed him. He becomes a prophet to lead ultimately the Messiah's line. And here now God said, because of your great faith, you're trusting in me, the pain, all that you went through. You have a praise now. I'm going to bless you with five more children. Wow, what a story. It's amazing to see how God rescued. And today God desires to rescue us. It's not just rescuing us from the dead of sin, but it's always rescuing us. Always bringing forth salvation in our midst of our sanctification. He's always looking to save us out of our difficult moments. Through our pain, through our anguish, through our struggle, through our difficulty, God wants to lift up the praise of his name so that people will share his name with everyone around us. We carry the name of Jesus, and when we experience God's goodness and mercy and praise, when we experience his goodness because we take our pain to him, then we can only do one thing after that. We can praise him and share it with others. I'm going to tell you this. If I fell in love with my wife and fall in love with her more every day, I remember the times I had to tell everybody about my wife. How much more should we tell everybody about Jesus? I just want to encourage you today. Maybe you're looking in. Maybe you're looking from another state. You're not even a part of our church. Maybe you've been contemplating. What does it mean to have a relationship with God? What does it mean to be rescued from your ultimate pain? Maybe you're looking at yourself today, Mom, and saying, I'm not that good of a mother. Maybe you're looking at yourself and saying, wow, I wish I could be like so-and-so. 
I wish my kids would be more obedient. Maybe you're looking at the wrong place, in the wrong place. You're looking at your performance. Maybe you're uncomfortable because you wonder what it's like to be forgiven of your sin. See, sin is what separates us from God. Sin is what separates from a relationship with God. No matter how well-intentioned you are as a mom, being the greatest mom on the earth can never give you salvation in Christ. You will never get a ticket to heaven for that. I can assure you that. The Bible stands firm in that. But I can assure you this. If you decide to trust in the Lord, take your pain, take this separation, the, the, the fact that you're living in your sin, God will rescue you and give you new life. I want to give you that opportunity this morning. Maybe your mom out there and you're looking for that opportunity. It's a simple prayer. God can rescue you from your sin. God can rescue you from the separation. God can forgive you of your sin through his son, Jesus. And I want to offer you that opportunity right now. I want to just pray. And as I pray, you can say these simple words. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. Thank you for being God and for dying for me. Thank you for the forgiveness of sin that if I trust in you, you will give me the assurance of eternal life. Jesus, I trust in you. Enter in my life today. Thank you for this new life. Thank you for this new relationship. I thank you in Jesus' name. If you've prayed that prayer, please make a comment. Make a comment that you've said, I prayed that prayer. We would love to connect with you. Pastor Dennis and I would love to connect with you. And as we do so, I want to just encourage you today to look to the Lord in the midst of your pain. He will deliver you. As the team is coming up right now, the worship team, I just want to remind you, hang in there after the song. We have a statement to make. I'm looking forward to talking to you just very soon.